0: Welcome to the Football by Football Podcast. Let's do it. And here we are again. Welcome back here to the Real Thing Patriots Podcast. I'm Matt Chatham. This is a fun week, and not because it's all happy and glee and all that kind of stuff, but I actually get a lot of enjoyment of going back and picking through bad games as well. Uh, you know, I think you can learn a lot more from the the mistakes than sometimes you do from the successes. Sometimes even when you are succeeding, there are little things going wrong that can be exposed later. So this is uh, this is one of those sadist kind of weeks that I enjoy because the Patriots put a stinker out there against the Miami Dolphins. So obviously, we've got a lot to look forward to here with the big Steelers game on the horizon Sunday afternoon. But first, we got to pick through the wreckage and as I went back and reviewed that uh the Dolphins game the the coach's copy of that thing I, I was surprised a little bit that uh there was there was more just straight mess-ups than there were you know guys just getting beat uh, and I my, my impression watching it live and again I wasn't down in Miami I was in the Nessun Studios watching that uh in the green room with all the other guys and just kind of you know trying to give first impressions like, like a lot of you out there as well. What I felt like I thought happened versus what, when you went back and look at the tape, is dramatically different, and I think it's why it's important to do it. Uh, but I, I guess so as I was sort of plowing through my notes here and looking at you know, sort of what I felt was the big takeaways after reviewing the thing is it just kind of reminded me of the perfect storm <laughs> you know it reminded me of that old movie the mark Wahlberg thingy uh in gloucester mass and you know the the whatever the andrea gale and all that stuff and oh, you know, the, the crow's nest the little bar there just you know that that whole movie where the, the the perfect confluence of all these factors comes into play and and a big 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 bad thing happens uh, and you know it's it's it, i think that's what what really went down in miami i mean you're at You're at the four or five stretch as far as, um, you know, the, the road thing and it'll be five or six now here with Pittsburgh on a short week, which is even worse, but, uh, you know, it's it's towards the end of a travel session where it's a little hard, fatigue can set in, roster's a little banged up. That's a portion of it. You're playing a team who gets a second look at you, where they're going to do some things differently than what they did the first time, and it's in a venue you've struggled with recently. And I don't know how much of a factor that is because it's new teams, but it is it's something. Uh, and and you go down, you lose a turnover differential, oh two. That's you can never it's tough to win with that anyhow. And uh, you know, I think some of the areas where the injuries were there and and also included with that with the suspension with Gronk, uh things that stressed the offense in ways ways that they couldn't respond well with, especially in the absence of executing really well. So there's just a lot going on and I think the good news though as you review it, there was a lot of stuff sort of encapsulated in this Miami game that you don't see in other games, which I think is, is good reason to think that you won't see it the next one, or you won't see it going forward. Some of this is maybe some, some game plan decisions they made up against the Dolphins, swung and missed, uh, and they'll correct them this week, most likely, and you'll see different, different options against those same looks if they get them from Pittsburgh. So again, in my view, the perfect storm. So we'll walk through here some of the stuff that I saw that was big issues that I think are fixable, but that were obviously a major problem against the fish. So you now, offensively, we'll sort of stick. To, we'll stick to sort of an offensive breakdown here initially. I think one of the biggest, you know, things that have been—I don't say one, but many of the biggest things that have been batted around this week—is people are, you know, just like me, trying to figure out what the hell happened there. Is you know, resorting to conversations about Brady's age or whatever, which I think is silly. Going back to conversations about the potential of an, an injury, how much of a factor was that? And you know, I, I did look at the Achilles thing as well, and I'm trying to say, okay. Let me find some Achilles plays. Let me find some times where he drops back at five or seven, plants, you know, or, or if I see him ginger, be ginger with it. If, if he pulls up, he doesn't drive through it like you normally see him on a throw. If he does something different with his basic mechanics when he's set, as if he's favoring that Achilles, I had a hard time finding it. You know, there are there were times certainly where um, he set up safely in the pocket, and we saw him shift and move and reset really well in, in previous weeks. There were times where he didn't take the shift and move, but maybe that's more skittishness about rush and you know some of the different looks he was getting in the protection breakdowns more so than an Achilles. Um, and, and the thing that makes me a little hesitant to even talk about the Achilles is it was also in place the week before. Some of the best pocket movement stuff I saw of him this year came against Buffalo with that same Achilles on, you know, on the uh, on the injury report. So I don't know. I'm just hesitant to go say oh, you know, this is the Achilles, you know, affecting his throws or this is the Achilles affecting his pocket movement because it was hard. You know, a guy can have something where it's, you know, even with coaches film and all that stuff. Or the, or even the TV copy, you can you know you can hide it. You know there there can be something where he's pushing off at eighty percent rather than his hundred, and it's not perceptible to the, the eye. He knows he's not juicing it quite as much to hold back on the thing. But I really didn't see some play, and I was looking for it. Where it's like, oh, okay, he pulled off on that one. That thing must be bothering him. Doesn't mean it's not there. Could be, but uh, I don't want to put a ton of weight into that. That you know the 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 more the less accurate throws uh, that we saw in the game were attributable to the foot directly so i don't know i i can't say that if tom would tell you that were the case then that's a case i don't see a lot of evidence of it but that doesn't mean it's not possible um the other thing is the hand i mean people have been talking about that he's been you know squeezing his hand i saw this on twitter a few times people asking me the same question about what about the hand it got hit a couple weeks ago and you see him gripping it on the tv copy over and over again again i can't answer that it's not as if there weren't good throws as well uh and i didn't you know, again, I'm not going to go CSI the entire game film looking for times where he squeezes his hand weird, but maybe that's a factor, I don't know. So I don't want to say one way or the other, but uh, the one thing I did notice is, you know, and I, I played it down, so I'm probably as as guilty as anyone, uh, you know, because it it seemed to be a timing factor on some routes, but we talked a lot about last week about, you know, I did this on Nesson where, hey, this is the first time where Tom's taken down two practice uh two practices in a week, and that's unusual, right? Well, it was because of the Monday night game, so he still got the same amount that Thursday, Friday preparation where the timing is going to be full speed, so he should be okay on it. Now, where I'm saying that, you know, maybe I undersold that a little bit is, yeah, I was a little bit surprised in some of the timing of the routes being off a bit. Uh, Routes we've seen him complete a lot throughout the course of the year against those same coverages. So, you know, the one thing, and I, I put this out on Twitter here, and I think it's something we shouldn't just completely dismiss each and every week, or we shouldn't forget about. Tom's a thrower. His position is as, is as a thrower. It's his profession. He throws stuff, right? Obviously, as a quarterback. And it it I always want to remind myself this and remind viewers and people that that listen to this show or anyone out there that just you know consumes football regularly. It, that's a throwing sport, and there are going to be days where you're off a little bit, and it doesn't necessarily necessarily have to do with an injury. It doesn't necessarily have to do with some ailment you have. It doesn't necessarily have to do with You know, practice schedule. I think there are just sometimes when you throw stuff for a living, you might be off a tick, and that just pretty normal. It just happens. I think what leads you to, to maybe not remember that is Tom Brady's usually so incredibly you know consistent with his accuracy. And I saw it and said, hey man, maybe he was a little skittish with rush stuff, and you saw him be a little panicky, and when you're a little bit panicky, your your core's not set as well, your base isn't set as well, and your mechanics break down a little bit, and you you find yourself being less accurate. I think there were also examples in the game where his mechanics looked normal as, you know, I'm not, I'm not throwing coach, but it looked like his base was set, and he was stepping into throws like I normally see him do and still missing some of those. So that makes me say, oh, maybe it's not that. Maybe it's just an off day, and and that happens. And I, I think the best thing you can think if you're a fan and you want it to change is that usually this never happens twice in a row. And, uh, you know, if the injury is a big thing, you know, I, I I don't know. We can't say that. And one of the things I would, I would look to is you can see guys who – Really, really favor things. Guys who are really, really doing stuff, uh, dealing with stuff. Look at Alan Branch coming on and off the field, back in and out of the game. He's limping to the huddle. You know, look at Chris Hogan. You know, really favoring that shoulder. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, you know, guys who are legitimately dealing with something that is you know, dramatically affecting the performance. I think it's a lot easier to see. Maybe it's different with a quarterback, but you know, when you got a guy that's like his gait has really changed. You know, in the way he drops back and he has to favor A Guy wearing a big knee brace or something like that, or or a heavy ankle tape kind of thing I don't think it's to that level with Tom not that I can tell and it's not as if the ball's not coming out with zip he threw some great balls the other night just it was an accurate evening so I'm not going to put too much stock in any of that stuff until I see it happen several weeks in a row. And I know people want to say, oh, but he didn't have a great game in Buffalo. His game at Buffalo was, was in my view, much, much better than this Miami thing. It's You don't find as many of those throws where the receivers open, the options there, and, and Tom just misses them. Uh, and that 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 was more about, in my view, this Miami game. Now, that said, don't want to make the entire offensive struggle into Tom's struggles because that wouldn't be accurate at all. I think there were several examples of protection breakdowns or protection choices that just, just can't work against those looks at least low percentage-wise. Uh, if you go back on Twitter, uh, uh, one of my teammates' buddy, uh, Dan Cope, and I went back and forth on on a particular play that I posted some videos on where I thought the, the, the protection look was crazy relative to the defensive front. And Cope says, no, that's a way – it's a counter look kind of thing where the guard pulls and you block back with the center. What that means is uh, you're, you're trying to uh, – overload your play side and force the center to block back and sort of protect the other side w- with the back motion and play fake going to the play side so both garden and, and back are going play side center has to block back to what's called a uh, you know two eye or an inside technique on the guard so guy that's pretty far away from him so for guys like cope and guys like ryan wendell and guys like you know damon woody and back into the old days that is a really hard block and the, the video i posted you know Tom gets killed, and I think understandably so. What I didn't really understand in that play, and you know, sometimes it's like through on Twitter when you're going back and forth with the, with another guy who knows a game like Danny, is even if that's the block that's being asked to done, they actually had four down. So they had three guys to the place at three down, excuse me, three down, plus a fourth guy that's a creeper. And what that means is, you know, right of center, you've got three guys up on the line. So when the, the off the ball guy looks like he's going to blitz or rush or whatever that's four you know that's four to the play side which means that backside guy that we're talking about that they're asking coping to cope ah, i just did it they're asking david andrews to block back on there's nothing to pull him front side if the the offense is hoping for him to cross face or hoping for him to take the fake and go across he'll never do that there's no reason for him to do that in that particular look because they've got three down plus a four so every gap is taken care of there would be no reason for the the backside tackle to cross face He just wouldn't even if the play, play fake Happening, he should be playing backside of the center. So I don't know. I just don't think that's a great protection for that look. He he can't buy the fake and cross face. Now, if it had been three down to the or two down to the other side, and you you only have a third, then yeah, maybe he has to be more aggressive because they don't have math to the left of him. But for the tackle, there's no reason for him to go over there. So he just gets a straight rush up the field and, and kills a quarterback. So Brady gets rid of it smartly, uh, just throws it in the dirt. But that play had no chance. So it'd be interesting to see look going forward. You know, if 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 they continue to maybe. Use that look, or or check out of that particular protection if they get four strong, uh, or not. I don't, I don't know. Uh, Cope knows that stuff better than me, but I would just say from a defensive perspective, you're really happy if you're lined up, uh, you know, wide from the center, almost you know, almost head up the guard, and you just get to run straight forward with no reason to take you back across the face. So, um, you know, they start screening you though. You start doing other little stuff, and and you can get gashed. But uh, don't love that look. But we'll see what they do going forward. If you see more of that, uh, so. Rest of the game, though, yeah. So other stuff, you'll remember in that very first series, uh, I believe it was one of the very first pass plays, uh, there was some sort of pressure look to the right side of Brady, uh, to Brady's right. And between the two tight ends again from from the outside here, I have no idea who is who's making the the screw up or not but it's Dwayne Allen and Hollister, the other tight ends, so you yeah, have the two tight ends there, and they just didn't pick up whatever little game was going on, on the edge that's your extra player rusher comes off completely unaccounted for uh two tight ends don't account for the two off the edge it ends ends up being one they get one they don't, and clearly to me that's some sort of mental error Um uh, I don't know if it involves a tackle, I don't know if it involves a back, but somebody on the edge there made a mistake, and that was early. And so you have a, a protection bust right off the bat, a run that wasn't particularly effective, and all of a sudden you're you're down to third and, you know, uncomfortable. And I think there were a lot of situations like that in the game where an error or either just not a well-executed run play early in the sequence puts you behind the eight ball, and all of a sudden you're in third and eight, third and ten, third and what you don't want to be. And, the you know, the offense is, didn't do a great job, and maybe it wasn't real – set up to do a great job because of how bang they were banged up they were you don't have Gronk clearly and he's a great you know you got to get eight to ten he's that's that's his range he can be a great sticks guy in that situation a great bail you out kind of dude uh but the other guy left is 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 Brandon Cooks he's really the only healthy body and I'll get in again to the Chris Hogan stuff here in a little bit but Hogan was you know first time back after a month and he was favoring that that shoulder pretty heavily, from in my view. Uh, so, you know, you don't have a lot of healthy bodies on on the field, so you really need to get into third and four, third and three, third and something less than five, so that the angle routes in the backs, so the stick routes in the receivers are more realistic, so that, you know, if they're going to build beyond the sticks, there's a threat that they'll come back to them or go beyond you. When it's third and eight, man, they just sit at the sticks. They just sit and wait. You know, there's, they can stay on top of a deeper route because that's when Tom's back's foot's going to hit, and they can uh, – you know you can just sit really sit and really hard read because it's a little less believable that you're going to get you're, you know that you're not going to try to go right at six depth that doesn't necessarily work that way at, at third and shorter so you got to play it play it you know straight which sucks as a defender so I think there was a lot of first and second down under performance that led to the the third and terrible and you know the, whatever that stat was back to nineteen ninety one or something crazy like that where they'd ever had a game where they went. O oh, for 11 or O oh, for this many times on third down conversions it's just it's just a crazy stat you just don't see stuff like that so again back to perfect storm this was like outlier city and to me the crazy part about not not having sort of the run production here is remember this was against a same defense they played 14 days earlier and rushed for 200 on. And, you know, one thing that I'll say sort of in defense of the run game a little bit is there was, I believe it was a third series, but still a first half series where they came out, couple big runs by uh, Deion Lewis. There were some positive run. Run plays in there. It's not like it as if it was all failures, but there were a couple where, hey, you get two on first down or one on first down or zero on first down, and they abandoned it in part because they trailed. Right, so you'd love to stay on sequence even if it's a two yarder. You go back to it and get a four after whatever whatever it may be, but I think they felt a little less like able to to continue to press that. Press that situation because you get down you know you you gave up field goals on the first two drives and a touchdown on the third and all of a sudden the team that's used to being out in front had you know had to get away from the 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 mode that they used two weeks ago against that same team they ran all over them uh in in Foxborough and you know never got to that part of their game plan in part because they failed a few times on first down and then trailed and kind of got out of the run game mode so I think uh, I think rediscovering that run game is obviously a huge thing. You'll need to see against Pittsburgh. It's a front that can be run on. Well, we'll talk about that more a little bit later. But again, sort of compartmentalizing the overall issues. Tom was off. Happens. Greatest ever. Still, don't don't be sensitive about that. About just having one bad week. It doesn't have indications of age. Doesn't have indications of anything. You just had a bad week. He did. And you know, don't start thinking downfall or anything nonsense like that until you see something over the course of four or six weeks. This this is one single week, it just was a bad week is what it is hopefully he pops back out this week and i wouldn't be surprised if he does i think you should half expect it uh, but that's one portion the other portion is protection issues and there were some uh, sometimes i guess in my view the early example i i put in there with the, the one little uh counteraction that that cope explained to us uh, i think it's a poor choice for the particular look you get uh i think you can put yourself in a better situation but maybe they will maybe they won't they like it it, it as cope says it's something that they've used successfully in other things and i'm not going to fish us up to find out if that's true we'll just trust him on that. Yeah. But looking but other issues where they just had busts. Uh, you know, I think there's enough of them in the game. It doesn't have to mean mental error, it can just mean they didn't pick it up correctly or they did pick it up correctly and won and lost a and lost a physical battle. I think that's the other half to protection. Sometimes it's you know maybe not the best scenario to pick it up other times it is and a guy just gets physically beat there were a handful of just one-on-one losses at either of the two guard spots uh some wins at tackle uh you know just just losses and it happens again they're getting paid too and i think people sometimes forget that uh they have a very good defensive front does miami and they won a lot more battles this second time around than they did the first and that was a huge factor in the game so that's 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 you know the protection portion the quarterbacking portion uh one other thing that that was shocking that I wouldn't have been able to tweet about or talk about or even, you know, put it on Nesson when we're we're having those kind of conversations were errors that that actually crept up in the game. Uh, relative to reads and you don't usually see that with Brady and you don't usually see that with this group of wide receivers and backs. And again, we don't know the rules exactly when a route converts or where Tom is supposed to go with a ball on a particular play call. But one of the things that, you know, I have to, I have to be fair here because I always pump up Brady, how great he is as far as reading pressure, sending it to the release valve. That's, that's appropriate just so good over the course of his career of, of, defeating pressure with his mind really with just knowing where to go and going there decisively there were examples i did put one tweet out and it's it's from early in the game where you know he turns to the short side of the field he turns to a james white outcut uh out of the backfield and throws it at his feet it's not a terribly accurate throw um there was pressure he read pressure but the to go to that as your release instead of what was back over the middle of the ball for him, he had layers. He had Hogan at a deeper in cut and Burkhead as a as an angle route. So you basically have two routes run at two different depths right over your lap with one defender between the two of them. So he's, he's sort of in a conflicted situation. So to me, that's hey, there's your outlet. Uh, Burkhead's out in space, wide open. Hogan is on top of it in the event that the linebacker bites down on on Burkhead, you've really got a two-on-one and a great situation there for a pressure release, but instead went short side, something you don't see him do a lot. And it was just kind of a nothing play, nothing comes of it. Um, and, and I think those kind of situations where you can't see that live on broadcast, or it's really hard to pick it up that quickly, when you go back and look, I think it defeats a lot of the, the notion of no separation or you know problems with this, that, or the other. There are enough of those examples out there where a better decision you know, blows it all away. Um, I also put a tweet out there uh, from one of the things, I believe this is a third-quarter play, but we started to get into these situations where, well, I'll say this first. Uh, I was surprised when I looked, I, I had a similar feeling that, as an extended X, and that's the wide receiver who's on the ball and can't motion. Uh, that overall, Brandon Cook struggled on the day of, of getting separation. You know that 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 phrase again. Just getting open in his routes, sharply cutting out of the routes. You know, getting himself enough so that Tom can put the ball on him. And when Tom's not having the most accurate day, and he's not getting the most separation, that can be a factor. I think that did happen. You can find routes that that fit that little description, but there are also routes out there where you know, the first interception is probably the best example. Where where Cooks does stack the wide receiver, gets on top of the defender. Uh, so he doesn't stack, stack the wide receiver, stacks the defender, gets on top of the cornerback, gets his separation, ball's under thrown and picked. So that's just the ball, not the route. Um, one other thing, though, that was actually pretty surprising to me is, is the number of times where I think I saw it on TV as him not getting separation, and you see Cooks at the hot top end of the route actually not turn. So he's running some sort of vertical element, probably with that sort of internal clock in his mind and then beginning to stock block down the field at, at 20, 25 yards, which, you know, it's not that he didn't get separation it's that he was never intended to be a part of the route. So you see the vertical elements go down the field, they're runoff routes. And, and I was surprised to see how many times in the game there were runoff routes from the vertical guys. They weren't getting to the top of the stem and turning. They were going as runoffs and then trying to block, which tells you that they were making a very definitive effort to make these back targets, you know, make the back be the target, that, backs, one of the two backs is gonna get the ball. Uh, maybe one of the low outlets is tight end sort of leaking late or an in cut from Amador or something like that. But they were using the vertical guys not to you know, not to open up vertical digs or, you know, downfield dig routes, inside stuff, you know, any of the comeback stuff from them. A lot of times they were decoys in this particular game. And that's not and that's not the what you see every single week. You know, Josh has always been really good at changing things up. This was seemed to me a lot of game plan specific stuff. The choices they made against the Dolphins in a lot of instances just didn't work. So, it'll be interesting to see again that they adjust. They always do and, you know, try to make a little better plan, and um, you know, come back with something different for the Steelers. And I think that's what will be such a stress if you're Pittsburgh because you you got you see that that failed. They're going to see it. Obviously, the Patriots are going to see that that failed as well. So if you just come back and give them the same look as Miami, I think they will have made the adjustments to make it work a little better. One of the examples that they did tweet out was you know, the, the, there was a lot of talk this week about this one robber thing. With, you know, one little name for a route leaks out and it becomes popular, and everyone thinks that's happening each and every route. Miami did run a good amount of it. But the one st- robber stuff, and I'll explain this as best I can here in about 30 seconds or less. We don't want to get too much in the weeds on a podcast. But the one one robber simply means you have a middle-of-field safety, and the second safety is down inside, typically, or down at least strong. To rob routes. He's sort of a free player. You always have two frees if you're going if you're going to rush four. So you, usually it's the second safety and then you've got a 3 on 2 situation with the linebackers typically. Uh, so, you know, in sub or that down guy is is basically in this whole robber concept. He's down in the middle in any of these inside breaking routes, any of the, you know, crossers, stuff like that. He's there to to steal, you know, to rob to rob routes, hoping that the quarterback doesn't see him down low. Or if the quarterback does see him down low, he just vacates and he looks outside or looks to his back. It's meant to dissuade those inside throws. So it's a good little concept for that if you're not winning outside one-on-one. And, you know, they were at times, but at other times they really weren't. So I think that, that concept worked pretty well. But I wouldn't say they did it throughout the game. There's enough examples out there of too high safety stuff, and too high safety doesn't necessarily mean cover two or, you know, their half safeties, there were some four, a decent amount where both safeties are sort of squatted at, you know, 15 yards or whatever and reading. And then if they have nothing in their help player, otherwise they have to carry what's at them. So, uh, you know, the, the point of it is they did run the one-robber thing and it helped them in certain situations, but the Patriots ran enough of other stuff where they didn't stay in that exclusively. That wouldn't be accurate. So, especially when the Patriots get into the fullback package stuff where Devlin comes in the game, you've only got two receivers extended. They're not really running one-robber than the down safeties and coverage on either the tight end or back. So, uh, the one-robber stuff I think picked up more when they got into spread world. So, again, is, is, are the Steelers going to say, hey, I like that coverage. I heard a lot about it in the week. Let's run that exclusively. No, because neither did Miami, but they may Introduce that concept in the event they do, this relates to the tweet I was talking about. So, there are situations in the game where if you're going to do the robber stuff or you're going to do the single high safety and everyone down low is in man and they're using the extra people to double whoever it is they want to double or steal with a particular route, there are options, there are opportunities between that robber and and the deep safety, deep safety gets back there at 1822 as the, th- the play starts to extend deep in cuts can kill that, you know, cause you can be behind the robber could get him cheating down against one of the back routes or one of the low crossers or something like that. And you get layers between the deep safety and between, uh, the, this robbing safety. And there were some situations. The one that I picked out was, it, it just seemed weird to me that you would run right down the numbers, a deep curl, uh, and there's the the example I put out on Twitter is a deep curl with, uh, with Brandon Cooks, I believe, uh, where he's just running, you know, 18, 20 yards and then curling up there. Well, when the vacancy is really back out in the middle of the field, like I said, between the two safeties vertically. And if you. I don't know, and again, we we would never know this without the actual call and the receivers and the receiver coach and, and the quarterback himself could tell you if it was ran correctly. But one of the things that I always remember you know, from this offense is that it had a lot of license to convert routes against particular looks, so you're expected to do it. You Think back to the old Ocho Cinco things where he struggled so much with, you know, the route wasn't told you in the huddle. You don't say, I'm running a curl on this one, or I'm running a seam route on this one, or I'm running this. There's a lot of, at the top of the stem, a decision that has to be made based upon the look, or at least pre-snap whatever they decide the look's going to be you're you're running the route that's that's appropriate for that as opposed to being told in the huddle you run this you run this you run this you know that's that's the old uh, uh steve spurrier stuff you know that's the old uh, pre-programmed college route thing and this is a much more advanced group where i think they're supposed to uh, it's not exclusive to every play but convert routes to what makes sense for what you're seeing and there were enough moments in there where yeah they're running that one look or whatever and they stayed in routes that actually fall right into the hands uh, of that particular coverage. Don't stress it much. So I saw a lot of opportunities there for deep end cuts for crossers that might've made more sense for beaters, which, uh one-beaters, you know, we can go back to even how this affected the Patriots' defense earlier in the year, where you're seeing, you know, lots of crossing routes and lots of pre-snap movement and stuff meant to confuse you, that's the stuff that works really good against one, because people get picked, there's confusion about who has who, you bust out of a a stack really quickly where one receiver's on top of the other, or a trips situation where one guy comes out of the little bunch and he's kind of free, and it's difficult for the defenders without crossing up and hitting one another to, to either have a mental error Physical one where they're picking each other, that's the stuff that if some other team is going to sit in one robber or one anything uh, against this Patriots group, you'd anticipate to see more of. And they didn't do a lot of pre-snap movement in this game. They got into some. There were some series where Tripp showed up. There were some series where a little bit of movement happened. But I think if if the Patriots start gravitating towards a situation where. You know, teams are just going to sit in that. Yeah, gotta move towards the beaters. You know, here, they're going to run that. What are the things that specifically address and create holes and problems for that coverage? And they didn't do a great job of that in Miami of attacking it. I think they'll do a lot much, uh, they'll do much, much better with a week of work and an understanding that that's how teams are going to go at them with, with the receiver health that they have right now. Now, obviously the introduction of Rob Gronkowski into that formula might change it entirely anyway, because you might feel a little less apt to just have the robber play free or the robber is the, the down safety in the middle there is taking whatever uh, and instead you have to pre-prescribe where he's doubling and that's double Gronk you know double him and if you double him that pulls him out of that middle of the field where he's able to take on any and all comers um, and so again that that is sort of a good example of how important Gronk can be to an offense and how difficult it can be for an, a defense to just stay in something vanilla like that where they get the extra guy where they want him if they have to send him a certain dude well then and that, that changes things. Now you have new vacancies. You'll know where the vacancy is going to be because Brady can pre-snap read. You know, where they're, everyone's vacating, I know I got a middle field, I know they're going to give Gronk to extra extra attention, I know the, the linebackers got to pay attention to these two backs because Burkhead James or Lewis, are, they're a mess. Now everything is a little more defined for me. In the absence of Gronk, they could keep it undefined. And I think one of the best examples of that in the Miami game, that they did a really good job uh, that caused a little bit of confusion, was spinning those safeties that would be the robber guy. And uh what that means is, you know, usually pre-snap you can, you know, you can kind of tell which guy's gonna be the deep guy and which guy's gonna be the down guy. One guy's kind of creeping up or leaning, or they're on two different planes, one's at 18, the other one's at 14, or one's at 14, one's at nine, whatever it is. You can start to anticipate which it'll be. The Dolphins did this a handful of times where the guy that pre-snap would be in front of the other guy and they'd spin. On snap, the the, the shorter guy would actually turn and bail to depth, and the deeper guy pre-snap would come down and rob. So that's 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 really good disguise. That's smart, and I think Brady alluded to that in some of his post game comments, where he said, "Hey, you know what? They they, they change stuff up. They you know, and that doesn't necessarily mean changing the coverage entirely, but just changing who and how they match within it uh, to try to confuse you. And that's that's good defense. I thought Miami did a good job of of mixing things up. There wasn't exclusive one robber. Don't. Don't fall for that Okie doke. But there was there was enough other stuff going on, especially in in the looks as they changed out of just sub personnel where it was diverse throughout. But in the moments where they relied heavily on the one stuff they changed up how they ran the one enough times to make it so it wasn't able for Brady to pick it apart so that's a perfect storm in my view a lot of different stuff going on a lot of different issues uh and the Patriots didn't handle well this week and they tend to have one stinker a year and I think that's that's it it's on the board great teaching tool I think it'll (laughs) really help coach Belichick have have course to you know, tighten the screws on the guys this week. It'll be a stressful, stressful, stressful week of work, and you, you always know that um, after a loss anyhow. But the way they lost, the way it was really a th- a three-phaser. You know, the special teams didn't have a great day. Defense didn't have a great day. Started okay, and then j- just did not finish. Those two second-half touchdowns, uh, That you just can't have happen when, you're, when your offense is having an off day. When the offense is having an off day, the defense really has to step up. They did the first two series, got those field goals, forced third series you know the whiff on the sack by Jordan Richards was a killer because they dialed up the exact right play that would have been a get off the field three field goals in a row yeah the offense is struggling but we kept you right in it but when you when you whiff on that play and then you come back with a touchdown a play or two later whatever it was now you're off script you know now they are answering uh touchdowns with your three and outs or your 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 punts and that's no good so and then you go into halftime come out ready to roll and they get two two scores in the third quarter, that's toast. You know, that's that's just the kind of game that you can't have that kind of game when uh when the offense is down. So you know, all three phases had a rough one. So you hope it doesn't happen again. If you're a Patriots fan, I think the staff will be really, really picking itself apart and going for what works best against Pittsburgh this week. And, you know, even with everything against them, I still think the Patriots match up pretty well. Uh, we'll see how sort of personnel shakes out in the week and we'll get more into specific uh, Steelers stuff here later. But the one last final thought I wanted to make on the, on the, uh, on the Patriots game, uh, the Patriots Dolphins game was Chris Hogan. And, you know, I, I, I give him all the credit in the world for even being out there because a the guy misses, you know, a month with a shoulder situation. And, you know, people are going to meet and say, oh, yeah, he's great. We got Hogan back. He'll be like Hogan, like we always saw. And he's been such an incredible, you know, addition to this offense since he got here a year ago. It was, was, was nails in the Super Bowl, has been nails throughout the first part of this season prior to the injury. Um, but you could really see, and I didn't catch this in-game, I caught this more on, on coaches' tape watching it back, where he would grimace after plays, hang the shoulder a little bit. Man, tough as nails to be out there, tough as nails to keep taking the rep count that he was. But even in moments where he was blocking and had to release, you could see that thing is still bothering him. So I half wonder if the Kenny Britt addition is in in answer to that Till we don't know how long it's going to take to get Chris back up to full speed. And he's such a huge part of the offense when he is at full speed. But if he's not... It's tough, man, to get out there. You don't have your legs under you anyway, and you're, you're trying to get back to getting sharp on running routes at full speed, which you don't get in practice. And you got a bad wing, you know. So, and extending, in you know, extending to blockers who are away from you, that that stresses the shoulder. Trying to extend out of routes, you know, and go get balls that are right on you. That is tough if your shoulder's messed up. So, it's one of the one one little joints you don't want to be having a problem with if you're a tall, long guy wide receiver. That's a big part of your game. The that you need in a a good healthy shoulder is is a big part of it so it may take Chris a while to get back to normal and it's not going to be an overnight just because he was active and from what I saw in film he's still favoring the thing and just tip of the cap for him trying to play through it Uh, but they're a little banged up at that wide receiver spot right now so I think that's in part why Kenny Britt's here we'll see how quickly they can get him up to speed that's that's a monster question mark and uh, we'll see if maybe Dorsett gets more involved I know we've said that several times this year and it's just never come to fruition but But if after seeing Chris sort of try to fight through that thing, they realize, man, we've got to rep control him or put him in situations to help him be successful while he's he's working through it, I would presume that has to mean Dorsett has... You earn some targets earn some reps where he gets plays if not you're really really stressing that group to where you're making it basically a two wide receiver group amadola and cooks gronk as your tight end, and back to two back situations whether it be fullback series or two truths where you got james and burkhead or james and lewis or lewis and burkhead whatever it may be but uh if they've determined that they're not going to get enough out of dorset and your third and hogan is uh you know too banged up. It really limits some of that spread football stuff where they're so good where they go four and five wide. So the uh, rosters, you know, not in great shape right now to deal with that, especially in the event that the Malcolm Mitchell doesn't come back. Uh, and it kind of looks like that's where this is going. But I have to wondered after my that was my first thought, and a lot of people's first thought out there that oh maybe that just answers the question of whether or not then get they're going to get Malcolm back. They signed Kenny Britt. Um, maybe that's what it's related to after further review i'm half wondering if it's also related to to chris still not being full speed uh and wondering if that'll be a lingering thing throughout the years throughout the rest of the year so uh i certainly hope not it's just an awesome offense when you've got a full speed hogan a full speed cooks and a full speed amadola and all the backs healthy and gronk out there but when you start losing a few of those pieces even with brady at the trigger uh you know you're gonna have issues so we'll keep an eye on where that goes and uh uh, you know it's obviously of, of huge importance to the Patriots as they move forward on this last little playoff push. Um, one of the one of the last little things that I wanted to to bail out here on is is sort of defensive talk from the Miami game and kind of get into the idea that what I what I think carries over, what I think there were issues in that game that were isolated incidents incidences or things that will potentially carry over to Pittsburgh that they got to figure out a way of fixing. Uh, and, you know, obviously the two big outstanding names that were absent uh, were, were Van Noy and, and Trey Flowers. So the absence of those two guys played a huge factor in the game. And I'd say huge. I'd say a big factor. We'll not go huge because I think you can still win in the absence of those guys. And they've proven that they could in Buffalo the week before. Van Noy was there but was favoring the calf. It was rep controlled. And they put some other dudes in. And they still were able to, you know, put a 23-3 on on Buffalo. And they did that without Trey. Now, you look you – look, uh, a week ahead, and a lot of things happened in that Miami game, other than just who got there on game day uh, for, you know, for the active list, but also who was able to maintain throughout. And I think that was a real stress on this team. You know, Lawrence Guy got nicked up a little bit, lost some time, did come back. Uh, Allen Branch, same thing, nicked up did come back where he's at physically we don't know moving forward uh, looked like a knee thing he was favoring it again showed a lot of toughness going back out there fighting through it still trying to make plays while he was banged up but those things tend to you learn more about them once you've gotten the adrenaline out of your body and you go fly home and figure out okay what am I dealing with now so the fact that they signed back um, oh man I can't say the name (laughs) Jean Francois uh, yeah, whatever the name is, the, the defensive tackle. Bad of me to not not have it in front of me, but uh, uh, the, ta- the 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 defensive tackle that had been a former Colt, um Francois. Let me look it up. Let me look it up. Why can't we do this? Yeah, Ricky Jean. There it goes, Ricky Jean Francois. But he has signed back, uh and I think that's very important. And in part, this sort of corresponds with Marcus Cannon going down on IR. You have the extra body spot. They bring in Ricky Jean Francois. Well, I actually thought they did a nice job in the in the in the small time he got i think what was appealing about him is obviously he's an experienced vet but he would played in season for another team was released in season so it's not like you're picking up a street guy that hadn't played since camp he'd been playing in year comes in does a nice job for you but then when malcolm brown's back healthy and branch is healthy and you know you get your bodies back he gets snipped but he's on a he's on speed dial right and that that clearly is the situation here looks like branch gets banged up doesn't know and none of us know now if you know as i'm recording this on a thursday if that's going to carry forward uh if branch will be available but if not you got another experienced strong guy that can play uh in the defensive line that has played for you get him back up to speed in a couple of days of practice and he should be good to go out there so uh, that to me is sort of a corresponding move the other thing that's a little bit was was surprised, was I, that I didn't catch watching it live, but that you catch back better when, when you watch it again and you see Mike Reese, who does such a great job for ESPN, you know, cataloging rep counts and all that kind of thing. Dietrich Wise was who's been such a big part of this this defense throughout the year, and we knew that he had a light practice week last week with an ankle, and he got a light rep count in the game. So it's one thing to talk about the absence of, of Trey Flowers and the absence of Van Noy, but you also – get in-game absences from people that were active likewise like like guy and like branch all of a sudden those guys start going out and you're super thin so it's not just about who came to game day it's about that you came to game day a little bit finish and then lost people in game so then you're going to far less ideal configurations of your personnel so uh, not having Dietrich Wise go wire to wire uh is is important is as important as the absence of of Van Noy or the absence of of even a Trey Flowers now Trey is obviously one of your best defenders in the front seven so maybe it means a little bit more but I'm just saying in the absence of I mean, you know he's not him. You know he's not there. Then having Wise take a – I'm sorry. Then having – yeah, Dietrich Wise take a light day. Ugh, you know, that's – now all of a sudden you're starting to stress the roster quite a bit and those different kinds of special body types. You know, big, long, defensive end dude that Wise is. is really nobody else like him on this roster. Uh, losing that in in addition to the other losses starts to become a bit, a bit bigger thing. They start to pile up. So let's move forward now here into the, uh, into the Pittsburgh Steelers game. And I think this becomes – one of the more interesting matchups of the year, but for me, for different reasons, uh, than just, hey, both teams have good records. Hey, this is going to be for who gets to host, uh, in the, in the AFC playoffs, most likely. I think it's less of that, uh, for me personally and more of what the Patriots are able to pull off in a very, very, uh, you know, all stacked against you kind of situation. It's, this is, you know, this is not excuses they'll make for themselves and I'm not making them excuses. I'm just going to simply state facts and you think nothing of them, whatever. If you're a Patriots fan, I think you'll you'll think something of them. But uh, my expectations for what will come out of the Sunday are extremely, extremely low because of what happened last weekend and because of the short week to fix those issues and because For whatever reason, the NFL has this insane quirk in their schedule where the Super Bowl champions from a year ago come back and get five of six on the road. And the sixth game is not just also on the road like those other five of six, but it's on the road after a Monday night game. Short week. It's just it's just crazy to me. It does not make any sense to me that an algorithm that's supposed to try to make this spread fairly across the league would would spit that out. It makes no sense. I mean, to me, that's if you're doing a thousand iterations or a hundred iterations of the schedule, that version would be one that would get plucked immediately because wait, that that's an unfair uh, scenario. The, the, that scenario was not. You know done by the other teams that are playing throughout this league the other 31 aren't dealing with five of six where the six is actually you know a short week uh, off of coming off a Monday night game that's insane so um, the idea that there's a lot stacked against them this game I'm not going to overreact one way or the other to what happens in it you know they're gonna have plenty of time to write themselves in the next two weeks against the uh, against Buffalo and the Jets and then presumably on a bye week or maybe not to figure out who this team really is I don't think you'll learn that much about the Patriots this week, all you'll be learning about them is how do they handle a, a sixth game where five were on the road on a short week coming off a of Monday night where the roster is extremely banged up. If you can carry forward all those same you know factors into a playoff game, well, then it tells you something, but you can't because none of those things will be there. So how will they be when they're rested? How will they be when they're a little bit healthier? How will they be when they get a normal week of work like everyone else? How will they be when they haven't traveled this much prior to doing it? So it's the world against them this week, and you know they'll, they'll do with it as they will. But I wouldn't say, hey, if this ends up being a game that doesn't go in the Patriots' favor, that you use the results of this to extrapolate forward and figure out how they'll do in a playoff game. It'll be entirely different, even even if it has to happen down there in Pittsburgh again. Now, I say all that, I'm acknowledging that all these factors are stacked against them, and that's factual, it's not opinion, it's just it's what they're dealing with, and they got to overcome it, that's the NFL. But in saying that, the Pittsburgh Steelers are a great matchup for the Patriots, but I think these other factors help pull that matchup closer to where Pittsburgh should at least be favored, at least on this one particular Sunday afternoon. Um, One of the biggest things that that works again here in the Patriots' favor uh, that pulls it maybe more less away from excuse me pulls it less away from what it is I'm trying to sell here is the inclusion of Gronk. Gronk comes back a lot of the things we talked about in the Miami game maybe aren't necessarily relevant factors and Pittsburgh has always had a tough time dealing with him. He's played big against him and I think the run pass element with Gronk especially as an inline tight end in the formation all that kind of stuff really helps the run game as much as anything. So I think in in portions where you saw the run game less effective against Miami, part of it is because the people who are packed in around the box, around that tight end, don't believe he's a run-pass threat. They know he's there to point of attack block, most likely. So you can be a little more aggressive into him. If your edge has to be a little softer because you don't know if Gronk's going out or if he's going to block, that's a huge advantage in the running game. So I won't be surprised. I don't think anyone out there that listens to this podcast should be surprised if the running game comes back to what you thought it was before. And it ends up being probably the most effective portion of this game. I don't know if this is the week where Brady goes out and throws it 45 times. Um, you know, I think this is more likely the week, very similar to when the Patriots played in Pittsburgh, uh, the last trip down there, uh, when, uh, Landry Jones was a quarterback. And it was one of the better running performances that they had of that particular season. I think going at this front, uh, Physical, You know, going you know, going right at them. Direct run at these guys. A little bit of pre-snap movement by flipping tight ends or fullbacks or whatever. But, but physical stuff. Physical run game stuff. I think this is a week to go right at Pittsburgh. And I think that's going to stress them the most. Whether or not they get back Joe Hayden on the back end, and we don't know that as I'm recording the show now, um, I think is a little bit less of a factor uh, because... I think I don't think this is going to be a high-volume Brady pass day. and I could be dead wrong, and you can come back and sort of laugh at me next week or give it to me on Twitter if it ends up being a Brady passes for 400 kind of day. I'm not sure that's the case. I think this is reestablished balance week. I think it's reestablished the run pass option with Gronk. It's reestablished the big plays in the offense off of play action. It's reestablished uh, Deion Lewis week. It's get back into the Burkhead angle stuff off play action, the release – valve stuff off play action, the big running game stuff where you go hard at the edge where Solder and Gronk are working together or Allen and Gronk are working together and you beat up on those athletic guys they got on the outside. Bud Dupree, athletic. The, the young Watts, athletic. Do they want to be run directly at? not as much. You know, I think you play into their favor if you drop back each and every time and allow them to start doing twists and stunts and just become pass rushers only. I uh, I really don't th- I think it plays into the Patriots favor if they keep an andor element alive each and every snap. Let Mike Mitchell, you know, come be Gronk's uh shadow if that's what they're willing to try. Uh and I think you'll you'll kill him at the sticks route just letting him break off at each route, you know, hit him in that moment where he breaks away at the top of the stem, and Kronk can have another ten ten ball day, or get those safeties down in the box uh, to cover up on Rob and run right at him. You know, let Rob just walk him off the line. So I think he's obviously one of the biggest factors in this game. It's not just because he was gone last week; it's just how they match up, and I think they'll try to match up if they want to go into the one robber stuff. I highly doubt it as much because. You need that robber to, to attach to Gronk. And if you use that robber to rob backs or other crossing routes from Danny or something like that, then you've singled Rob. Thank you. And he's going to he's gonna feast. So this will be an interesting game to watch. It'll be a fun one to watch. I think, again, if, if, if these two teams play one another again in the playoffs, whether it's in Pittsburgh or whether it's up here in New England, I do think you'll see a different overall style game than what we see this weekend. But it's going to be fun to watch. Now let me flip to the other side of the ball here really quickly. Uh, for the Patriots' defense defense, Obviously the challenge is huge here. Obviously, I think you're who's active for the day is going to be a monster, a monster thing to know. Have an Allen Branch healthy will be huge. If not, it's a lot of stress on Ricky Jean Francois to be that next body in because you're probably talking Lawrence Guy and Malcolm as the two inside tackles. So your your third is a new guy who you'll need, especially if they try to run the ball twenty five thirty times with Bell. So you know, your off-the-ball tacklers need to be really exceptional in weeks where you have this super patient runner. Uh, You you can't have linebackers that quickly dive into the wrong gap or or quickly overplay something because that's when bell kills you. So I think this is actually a really good week to get, um, hopefully it's it's able to be done, but David Harris back and active. I don't know the reasons he didn't play last week. Uh, He was inactive for the game, but I think having a really smart guy that tracks the ball well that doesn't run himself out of plays is so much more important when you're p- facing a patient back like bell than a hammer like a landon roberts and landon's been doing a good job he's had his good plays had his bad plays that's kind of how he's been you, yes you got to see him exposed as and extended away from the the formation thing by Kenyon Drake and they just run a go route on them but man that's every Mike linebacker in the league is going to have that not every but the vast majority of them you sit out there for five or six reps and eventually at some point they run a go route on you you just don't want to be in that situation as a defense I think now were they to try that with you know Pittsburgh somehow some way they probably check themselves out of that let the safety take it keep keep the middle linebacker in the box whatever it is the way, way they want to adjust but Uh, they clearly illustrated on that one play that that's not something they want to get caught in again. So you have a check. You have some of the way of making sure you don't get in there. Uh, And I think what kept them from checking out of it several times prior to them getting gashed on it in the Miami game was – they didn't go to it, you know. Landon Roberts looked like he was playing corner you know, for for a handful of snaps there in the first and early second quarter, uh, because they they'd extended him several times before they finally did go to that thing. So they probably thought as a defense they could get away with it because they weren't going to take advantage. But um, I I don't think that creeps up in this game. But if it does, expect a check. Expect them to zone the whole thing if they want to do that silly stuff. Um, but again, I, I think you're obviously going to have to have good, 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 good inside linebacker play, and it would be a good important practice week for Landon to learn to stay patient to stay in the gaps that you want don't overplay with the play action don't overplay with sort of pursuit because you know that's what bell feasts on guys overplaying him guys being less patient than he is so having david harrison and the landon have really good weeks in there on the inside strong push pressing guards staying alive in their gaps huge factor this game now gideon van noy back that would be helpful as well because he's one of your best pursuit tacklers guys that can work on the move and you need the athletes are able to, to taste to chase down a good athlete by, like like, uh, like like Bell. But if he's not at full speed, that's really the attribute that's going to be affected most by having a calf that's a little jacked up. So if he's not able to pursue aggressively, he's not able to tackle in space, that's probably the first thing that comes out of that calf. So they'll have to make a decision. We'll see where they're at health-wise overall there. But they did cut Jonathan Free uh, and let him go after he was up there for a week, which maybe makes you think that they feel better about their depth there. Maybe the health is okay that they can tape it up, wrap it up, Put a sleeve on it and and Van Noy will be okay to go and if he is that's that's obviously a a huge plus for the defense uh Trevor Riley has been playing well on the edge and the snaps he's getting. Marquise Flowers, we'll, we'll see where his role is here in the next game, but I think you obviously need sort of an all-hands-on-deck kind of situation, obviously with the young guy Lee at defensive end. I think he played wire-to-wire wire last week, but you know, you're know you going to need big weeks out of these guys. Hopefully they continue to improve as they get more reps, and the biggest factor of all of this is tackling, right? And we know that that, that had been such an incredible strength. We've talked about it a lot on the show throughout the course of this season. You've been able to to tackle in space. Chung tackling well. And Chung got banged up in last week's game as well. It's another guy to t- keep an eye on. So, you know, Obviously, <laughs> the biggest acknowledgement here is there's a lot of question marks as I do the show as to what will actually be there on game day. But your good tacklers have to tackle well in space. you got to tackle well in space against Antonio Brown, and that is no easy task. you got to tackle well in space against Le- Le'Veon Bell. No easy task. But the best way to make sure that happens is to gang tackle, to not overrun plays, and to get a lot of hats on the ball. Daron Harmon, good tackling safety. Uh, McCordy, one of the best tackling safeties out there. Chung, great tackling safety. You know, getting the linebackers who can just be patient and say, this is a do-your-job kind of week. That's going to be very, very important with with handling these guys. Now, how do they match up from a strictly coverage standpoint? Uh, that'll be interesting to see. Now, Stephon Gilmore, to me, is the most obvious example to go over to Martavius Bryant and Bryant has not been a big part of their offense quite frankly he's not as big as prior to the suspension you know uh, Bryant was that big field target downfield guy going to be body type similar to Devontae Parker a week ago which uh, you know Harman, uh, excuse me uh, Gilmore continued to do really well against him it's still a great matchup for him if a team has a long tall guy it's usually going to be Gilmore drawing him if he's a big part of the offense so you know I, I know i would seen some people on Twitter sort of throw out the, post, the idea that hey maybe that you know maybe you try Gilmore on on Brown, I'm not sure if that's the best the best matchup for him. I'm assuming Brown's gonna re- get more attention just any one single person anyway. So maybe the shifty in and out guy like Malcolm Butler, that's actually a good match. Just give him over the top help. You know, give him an extra safety spy. Give him give him something. You know, don't don't leave him on an island out there. No no cornerback in football one setting it's brown. He's just too good. But maybe mixing up how you approach Brown. In him out in and out him with multiple defensive backs, in and out him with linebacker and defensive back. Just play little play your leverage well, use your help well. Jones could be on him at times. You know, it's even Roe. You know, we don't know how he'll get mixed in here. And obviously, he was a. A part of that coverage scheme a year ago when they're playing those guys in the playoffs and it went very well for them. So, you know, I think the mix and match approach is probably better against Brown than me sitting here on some podcast in the middle of the week saying, This guy should take this guy and this guy should take that guy. I think it's more likely it's a diverse approach because if you settle in on them, then they'll be able to settle in on you and devise a plan to how to to beat the particular guy you choose from. So I think moving forward on that, we don't think Jesse James is, is a solid tight end, he's a good player, but he's not a huge part of their offense. So targeting him and how you account for him, a little less of a, a priority. It doesn't make the list there real high. Uh, Juju. Schuster Smith, uh, the shot guy, the not so tall shot guy. Uh, he's a factor, and I think you know this is a lesson that needed to be learned from the Miami game. The, the the third or fourth complimentary guy, Kenny Stills, not so much, but the other young guy, Grant, I believe, in the Miami game, that gets a couple shot plays, big explosive plays down the field. That's that's where Smith Schuster Schuster Smith. I never remember <laughs> which word to put it in, but that's where he comes into play. And I just think whoever it is you use on him. Stay on top. Stay on top of that route. Stay on top. It's It's got to be an absolute priority. If whomever's covering him, do not overplay things. Do not bite at sticks uh, depth. Do not, you know, do not try to undercut. Stay on top. Tackle well. Avoid the big play with him, and you'll succeed. All right, so that's kind of my overview of where all things sit, and, and I don't necessarily want to get into predictions on how I think this is all going to go out because I can tell you right now as I sit here in the middle of the week uh, taping this thing, there's five or six things that I don't know what's going to happen uh, that are going to really dramatically affect this. Like, say if Dietrich Wise is unhealthy and unable to go at full speed or he gets in there and he's only going to get a 10-rep count. Well, that changes my thoughts on how things are going to go down. Trey Flowers is unable to go or Trey Flowers able to go. Don't know that in the middle of the week, but that changes things on how I think they'll match up defensively. Uh, offensively, Chris Hogan is in sort of step-back mode because he's playing through that thing and they have to go another route. Maybe, maybe using Kenny Britt right out of of another organization and trying to get him 10 or 15 plays and game in a few to him. I mean, that changes everything. Uh, you, know, not, it, you know, this is probably one of the first times in a while where I thought to myself, maybe Mike Gillisley does get active this week. Maybe this is hammer run game week and having that other big back Not that he's huge, but a more direct run guy active might be helpful, especially if they're starting to feel super thin at a wide receiver group. I don't know if that happens. Having four active is is a pretty big stretch. So maybe I'm, maybe I'm off there, but it's, it'll be interesting to see how this thing shakes out. And I'm telling you, as I sit here today, if anyone knows or tries to predict midweek, you're going to be off unless you know five or six other things. If five or six other things change, the outcome probably changes. So, one thing I can bet and I'll go ahead and bet a chip on now, Tom Brady will be accurate again. You know, Tom Brady is not going to in the absence of pressure, you know, just blow throws, you know, and that's that's so rare to see from him and it was surprising to see from him and I don't think we'll see it against Pittsburgh. The offensive line Offensive line picks are play up again as to where we expect them to be, and I think they're aided a lot in doing so by the reintroduction of run game and having Gronk back with that helps a ton. But you just get ticked back in enough, uh, enough of these other areas, and I think a lot of it falls in line. But that said, I think that there's more certainty on offensive production against that Pittsburgh group than defensive certainty on the ability to stop or slow Pittsburgh because there's too many things we don't know going into game day. What's Chung's health going to be like? What's Flowers' health going to be like? What's Dietrich Wise's health going to be like? What's Alan Branch's health going to be like? Is Lawrence Guy banged up a little too much? Are they going to be able to get Van Noy back? Literally all these things are complete unknowns as we sit here and do the show, and they matter a ton to how anyone is going to predict this thing goes down. At the very base level, I'm hoping David Harris is a part of it because I think his steadiness in the middle of the defense will be very helpful against this level of a back. All right, well, hopefully you got enough there. Uh, a lot of gristle, a lot, a lot of meat to chew on, a lot of stuff there that you know could go a number of ways, but hopefully learned a little bit here on just – different ways to look at everything and all the different factors that are in play that none of us know uh, how they'll go shake out. But we'll digest this next week as it goes. I hope that, you know, I hope that you enjoy the game and I hope you uh, learned a little something from this podcast, but we'll all be enjoying that Steelers game, looking forward to go the Patriots way. But if it doesn't, no cliff jumping this week, people. It's one game. Uh, it matches up well for them. Even better if they're healthy and got some time on their hands later in the playoffs. Thanks again for tuning in to the Real Thing Patriots podcast. I'm Matt Chatham, your host. You can always find this show to be downloaded on iTunes if you want to subscribe to the podcast. or on blogtalkradio.com. You can subscribe to our page there. The stuff will come to you each and every time, so you don't have to just rely upon my tweets to find the show. Thank you, as always, for your listenership. Take care. Enjoy the game this weekend, folks. Go, Pats. Thanks for listening to the Football by Football podcast. Football Insight by Football Players. Hi, Lucky. Hi, Dusty. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned.